Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. We are back with a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Back in studio once again, the J to my G, Johnny the Jew Mandel. Yo, yo, what up? How you doing, man? Welcome back. Doing great, doing great. Just, uh... Got back from Montreal from the weekend, was there for a bachelor party, had a great time. Montreal is a amazing city. I have never been, never been really anywhere in Canada. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Canada here and there for work. I haven't been there on vacation really ever. And uh, if I were you, I'd recommend starting out with Montreal. It's a, an amazing food city, like a lot, a lot of cool places. Uh, dollar is very strong right now against the, I believe it's called the loony. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So I had, had, a, had a few good meals and, uh, overall just a, a fun, cool, chill city that it's got a lot going on. I hear there's some, uh, pretty good looking ladies up there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say like it's Miami, but <laughs> <laughs> what were you get, what were you getting on the exchange rate? Is like 70 something to the dollar? Uh, I only know the opposite way, which is a dollar is 1.3. So yeah, it's probably about, okay. It's probably about 70. What'd you guys do? Anything you can talk about on the <laughs> family friendly? Yeah. I mean, it was your podcast. typical, uh, it was your typical bachelor party, dinners, clubs, you know, bars. That, Who that, is in Coke? Yeah. No, <laughs> not, not exactly for this guy. So, but, uh, yeah. And then back in Chicago, back at it, we're recording on Wednesday rather than our usual Monday. Yes. But uh, I did hear your uh, podcast on Monday, so did a good job. Oh, you did? Yeah. The Venezuelan one. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought that one was pretty good. It took a little different approach to it, but that's a pretty serious situation over there, and I don't know. It doesn't seem to be getting the attention it deserves. Yeah, well, you got, you know, things trending on Twitter, like, the next day, so that's yesterday. That's yesterday's right. news, Johnny. Yeah, Donald Trump probably tweeted something. I mean, what did he people's mean? attention span is, is just incredible. And again, if it's not happening in your backyard, like, why do people care? Right. So. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel about all this Israel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. But so um, let's back up for a second, because we do have a lot of new listeners to the show. And you have been absentee. I don't know, when was the last time you were on the podcast? Two, two weeks ago? Yeah. All right. So. Who the hell is Johnny the Jew? Uh, born and raised suburbs of Chicago with Johnny the Gentile. Played baseball together in high school. 
Uh, used to grab a lot of Papa John's pizza. That's right. Uh, and uh, been slinging software for the past 10 or 15 years as my post-college career. And where would you say you lie on the political spectrum or what's your political philosophy? Yeah. I mean, look, I grew up, you know, kind of from a Democrat family and, uh, I'd say, you know, I'm still more or less, uh, a Democrat, but like everyone kind of says it's in vogue these days, like, Oh, I'm more down the middle and you know, that kind of thing. So I would say overall, you know, still kind of trending Democrat. Um, I thought you were in recovery. No, you, you lapsed. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say labs. I just say <laughs> keeping an open mind to the world. I, I do think that there's an opportunity for either political party or even potentially a new political party to kind of gain some traction and, and do things a little differently. So I do think that so many things have become wedge issues that don't need to be wedge issues. Um, you can solve them in ways that both parties agree with, but... That's not really how you raise money, and that's not really how you kind of get a hardcore following that, that helps you win elections. So, All right. Well, there you go. So for all you new listeners out there, now you know what you're dealing with and what I have to deal with on a weekly basis. <laughs> so being the resident Jew of the show. we Correct. The, all of our, <laughs> our thousands of fans have been waiting with bated breath to get your take on all things. It seems Donald like Trump it seems Israel. like every week there's like another Israel or Jewish thing in the news and you know, who who knows? Jewish control of media maybe. Uh that was a joke people. So <laughs> so Rupert Murdoch is not Jewish. Uh so let's see the Trump thing on and the Jewish thing. Well, first of all, let's I mean, you're like a super Jew, basically. How often do you go to Israel? I go to Israel about once or twice a year. And your wife is from there? Wife is Israeli, makes great food. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, you really over outkicked your coverage on that one. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. So, yeah, basically, you know, uh, with what's going on with uh, the squad and Trump bickering with them and asking Israel not to let them come into Israel... Um, and them agreeing and then going back and forth. So you, you kind of had this whole thing the, in the past week or two. And then about two days ago, Trump said in responding to a question, something to the effect of, you know, if, uh, if Jews vote for Democrats, they're either ill-informed or, you know, they're, they're being disloyal, you know, something to, to that effect. And so, you know, obviously, like everything Trump either says or tweets, it, it was like, your, you know, your, your latest firestorm. You know, I think most Jews, given their history, would rather not be front and center of all these issues. Um, I was going to say, that's a lot of disloyal Jews. I yeah. Thought, I thought all Jews vote Democrat. I mean, it, it, it does break down to about 75-25. Um, I would say like most things it's because Jews are mostly urban versus rural. And that's, you know, probably kind of your, uh, your breakdown between, uh, Trump voters and non-Trump voters. So I'm sure there's, you know, the Jews that live in rural areas. <clears throat> yeah. All those uh, Jewish farmers. All those Jewish, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you'd be surprised. I, I even got family that are in, in more rural areas. And, and again, the, those, those issues typically fall more, more so Republican. But anyway, on the exact thing that he said, I mean, here's the thing with Trump. Basically his, 
I think id id right is in full view to everyone and you know love him or hate him and there's people on both sides he grabs the headlines he grabs the attention and it's something that just kind of fuels his popularity it fuels his name in the headlines and so you know, do I want to comment on this specific thing? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want, you know, Jews accused of being disloyalty depending on how they vote right for or against the president. The president should be the president of all people, no matter how you vote. But I think the, the bigger issue is it's like, no matter what he says, that's going to grab headlines. And ultimately that's going to benefit him. And I think that's just how we're wired as a society today. We want the reality TV president. We want the, the president that entertains more than we want, you know, the dry, uh, the dry things of, of policy discussed, the nuance of policy. Yeah, I think that is one of the major shifts we're starting to see in the political arena is that you know, politicians have always been these like programmed robots that just have these canned responses to everything. You know, they never want to offend anybody. They're always tiptoeing around the issues and you ask them a question and they dodge it and you ask them another question and they dodge that. And then they just spat out some, you know, meaningless political platitudes. Donald Trump is not that guy. And I think that appeals to a lot of people is he just, you know, he has no filter. He says basically anything that, that just comes to his mind. He's authentic. I think people... I respond to the authenticity. The question, I mean, what I'd ask you is, is it authentic or is it headline grabbing? Because I could see a lot of politicians being authentic without necessarily grabbing headlines. You know, like Michael Bennett might be authentic, but like he's not grabbing any headlines. I, right? I mean, Trump grabbing headlines. That's who he is. Right. He wants, you know, he's correct. He's tremendous. But I, he's going to be there front I, and center. I view that less as like, oh, his... His qual his great quality is being authentic. I would say that his quality of winning the presidency and sort of being in headlines is that he makes headlines and he learned to do that all those years in New York and on TV. You know, he realized, hey, I want high ratings. I want people to pay attention to me. Like he's always had that quality to him. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I don't by authentic. I mean I didn't mean that like um he believes everything that he says. Okay. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. Because I mean, he's he's all over the map, but I, he's not trying to be something that he's not. Like you can say, you know, he's just trying to grab headlines, but that's who he is. He's the headline grabber, and the way that he's grabbing headlines is by being himself. Yeah. It's by saying what's on his mind. It's by being Trump. Being Trump is what grabs the headlines. It's not like he's putting on this this fake character where he has to pretend to be. Trump in order to grab headlines. Just the nature of Trump captures those headlines. Every other politician is trying to be this proper, um, clean-cut presidential figure that that talks in that that political cadence. You know, or think of like the the speeches Barack Obama used to give. You know, things like that. It, Trump is the exact opposite of that. Or we actually we saw it too with the. You missed the whole. Cuomo, uh, Fredo meltdown. <laughs> That's another, you know, all these news anchors that pretend to be these prim and proper, 
I'm just, I have no emotion here. I am just going to deliver the news dispassionately, whatever. And then you see one of these videos pops up and Chris Cuomo is not the guy that you see on TV. All of a sudden, he's he could be a character on the Jersey Shore. If there was a, a hidden camera video that surfaced of Donald Trump, it would be the exact same person that you see you know, talking, giving an interview on like Fox News or something like that, or giving a speech on the on the helipads or out in front of Air Force One at a rally, you name it. He's going to be the same person as you would see on those hidden on like a hidden camera video or a cell phone video capturing him when he's drunk at a bar. Right. Yeah. He's not trying to, I guess, I mean, pretend is probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he, I guess you could say he's pretending to be a Republican. <laughs> well, but yeah. again, like. It's kind of his in on full display, you know, he's doing all these things for Israel. So, you know, in his mind, he then thinks, oh, well, then, you know, the Jews should be voting for me. And if they don't, well, fuck them. Right. Well, yeah. And so, again, that's a, that's an, that's an uncomfortable position to be in as a Jew, because, I, again, I don't want to have to tie you know, his view on one issue, which I don't even really necessarily agree with. Is he turning you against Israel? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty down the middle uh, on Israel, okay. so that, that's that's like another so, thing. Yeah. I, I would say there's a wider gap, like that Trump's sort of bringing to the fore. That more and more there's a gap between Israel and American Jews, and that gap is real. So, okay, uh, now maybe you can make this topic more inter- interesting for me because my eyes always glaze over when we get into the whole Israel Palestine thing. Right. Do you have like an elevator version of of that issue that you could break it down real quick? Yeah. Israel, when they declared uh, a country in 1948, post-World War II, post the Holocaust, a lot of Jews migrated to what was then British-mandated Palestine. And Israel fought against the British for their own country and felt like, based on what happened during World War II, they deserved their own country and, and really needed their own country. And so they fought the British. Uh, they eventually won and had enough population to declare a homeland. Um, in that area of their homeland, there were, there were many Arabs living there already under British-mandated Palestine, which came out of the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And so there's always been this inherent tension between Jews in Israel that want a Jewish state and the existing Arab population. Now, what made it even more complicated over the years is that the Arab countries surrounding Israel always wanted to destroy Israel, being Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Iraq. Israel kind of survived those countries repeatedly attacking them over the years, and eventually kind of made peace with each one of them. Now, the the most monumental thing or kind of what the modern-day crisis leads to is that 1967 is a famous war. It was a six-day war. It actually did take only six days. Israel captured a good amount of land from both Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. And they eventually gave the land back to Egypt in exchange for peace. But what ended up happening was Two pieces of land, the Gaza Strip and, and the West Bank, were had significant Arab populations. And so it's never really kind of been figured out, you know, 
Should those Arab populations have their own country? Should they be integrated into Israel? And that's the push-pull, and that's sort of the underlying issue that comes up today. And, and where do you fall on that, on that issue? I mean, take most— a, Take a stance. Come on, man. I, I will take a stance. Most Israelis don't want to think long-term about it. I mean, the way that sort of the, they've been raised under a constant state of war and terrorism, um, they've, they have a hard time thinking long-term about this. I think long-term, most Israelis will say, yes, we want Israel to be a Jewish state, and that built into the Constitution, which it's not. Um, and so if that's the case, if you want a Jewish majority, I think the two-state solution is sort of your option. The reason they don't want to do the two-state solution is because that significantly cuts down the amount of land they control. The West Bank is like a pretty big chunk of land. And so, A, they don't want to give up the land for a few reasons, a key one being security. Like when they give up that much land, they actually kind of become a little bit more threatened. So I think, they, like, I think people would want a two-state solution, but I think the problem is they're scared of cutting the country to such a small sliver if they, if they give it up. And just to sort of piggyback off of what you were talking about, the fact that they're surrounded by all these countries that want to destroy them. They're also countries that the U.S. views hostile to our interests. And so that's always been the impetus for all of this U.S. backing of Israel and, and how we have to give them all this money and this military support. And anytime that Israel gets into a conflict with one of these other countries, we automatically have to side with Israel yeah, I mean, there's there's a history behind that. I would say the support really started because most of the Arab countries were aligned with, with the Soviet Union. So in the context of the Cold, World, uh, Cold War, mm -hmm. Israel was kind of like the one U.S. ally in the region, um, coupled with the fact that there were a lot of American Jews that supported Israel and, you know, kind of the legacy of, of World War II. So, you know, hate or love this statement. I always viewed Israel as kind of like the 51st state. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people, I mean, I mean, that's a very, I think, controversial statement. But as far as culturally, economically, you know, we're very aligned with them and, and militarily for sure. So I think definitely there's been a ton of military support. But there's also, I mean, it, it's definitely a co-beneficial relationship because Israel contributes a lot as far as like technology and and that kind of thing to the U.S. So Now, when I first heard, or I guess when I first saw Donald's tweet about Rashida Tlaib, obviously I laughed because it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just so, he is so good on Twitter, man. He is, like, the only thing I like about him is his Twitter account. Yeah. But how did you feel about that? Because as much as I hate Rashida Tlaib and everybody involved in the squad, I can't stand those women. But at the same time, it's like we give Israel all this foreign aid, all this military backing. It's it seems like bullshit that they wouldn't that they wouldn't just roll out the red carpet when any one of our politicians want to go there, even if it's like these three broads who I can't stand. And to do it because of their views on an issue is just absolutely ridiculous. It's actually one of the few. It's probably the only issue that these women are kind of correct on. And they get barred from a country for it. That doesn't sit right with me. 
Well, so the reason they restricted them was because Trump personally like intervened. Like he personally said, don't let them come. Right. Not exactly. I don't think he said, don't let them come. He just kind of trolled them on Twitter and said it would show, you know, it would show great weakness to let them in because they're anti-Israel and anti-Jew. <laughs> Something like that. I don't think he specifically said, don't let them in. But I guess he did make it, you know, make his point of view clear that he would prefer if you didn't let them in. So now you're kind of caught between the American president and, you know, American representatives. Now, personally, the way I think Israel should handle it is you don't want to start aligning yourself with one political party in the U.S. Because, hey, when that political party is the president and you're aligned with them, like, hey, times are great. But guess what? The pendulum always swings back. And so when you have a Democrat in, in, uh, the, pre- in the White House, who knows kind of what they remember from this whole thing? And so, you know, as far as like Israel is concerned, I think they should remain neutral. But, you know, for whatever reason, they feel like they they kind of have to pick a side. I I thought it was a really politically stupid move on on Israel's part. Short sighted for like nobody knows if Donald Trump's going to get reelected. The economy, in my mind, is going to be the deciding factor. And it's teetering right now. He's already, he's, you know, yelling at the Fed to slash interest rates by 100 basis points. So, yeah, I mean, there is a good chance that he's not going to be president of next term. And, yeah, I don't know, just kind of ballsy. Kind of ballsy by Israel. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's just kind of interesting, like, this kind of Jewish thing coming up, the Israel thing coming up. I do think it's interesting. I was mentioning this to you off uh, offline. You know, Trump's son-in-law is like a conservative Jew and Ivanka converted for, for Kushner. Yeah. And so it's just like another element and some of his top advisors, I mean, Stephen Miller's, you know, comes from a Jewish background. I don't know if he's like a practicing Jew, but yeah, Trump, Trump's very pro Jew. He, you know, he knows I mean, he, he's from New York real estate. So he, he knows like- Judaism probably better than anybody. <laughs> but I mean, that's one of the funny things where they call him a Nazi. I'm just like, all right. So he's like the most pro-Israel president we've ever had, and he's a Nazi. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So now that we've covered that, what about uh? Do we want to go? I mean, I think this is his Twitter account's a nice segue into buying Greenland. Yeah. By the way, this perfectly goes back to like his it right. It's like he just says what like other presidents might think might fantasize about right and and he just kind of like says yeah. it for the world yeah he's basically he, like he grab- america's it <laughs> he's america's it i mean he, he kind of just grabs headlines you know i don't know if the danish are upset i don't know if it's like faux outrage i think it's faux okay i think it's great pr for them and um like dude i didn't even know <laughs> greenland was i mean first off who even knows what greenland is okay other than this is enormous thing in the Atlantic, in the it's Northern Atlantic. Block ice. Right. Secondly, the fact that it's part of Denmark, who the fuck knew that? I, I did not know that. Yeah. From what I understand, he didn't even come out and, and talk about this. These were like internal discussions that were happening in the white house that got leaked initially. Right. And then it looked like Greenland sort of jumped on it. And they're like, Greenland's not for sale. <laughs> and then, and then of course, then Trump's got to fire back. And that, that's really when it took off. 
I mean, it doesn't surprise me that these sorts of discussions would be going on in the upper echelons of the government. I mean, like, it, it sounds to me like it was kind of just like it came up in a discussion. And I guess they're having problems making these payments. Uh, there's like a subsidy that the, the Danish got to pay them. Yeah. Like 400 or $700 billion or something like that. And Trump is probably just like, oh, let's just buy it. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of that scene from one of the Batman movies with Christian Bale. You know, he's got to keep up appearances as the billionaire playboy. So he picks up a couple of who is and takes him to some fancy hotel and he's having dinner or whatever. And they start playing around in the fountain in the lobby and management comes over to his table and he's like, you know, sir, the the fountain is not for swimming. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And before he could even finish his sentence, Christian Bale has his checkbook out and he just goes, now I'm buying this hotel (laughs) and I'm making a few changes to the the pool rules or whatever. (laughs) That's exactly what I pictured this as. And um, it it sounded like it was sort of like a off off the cuff remark. I'm sure there's a lot of those. And somebody just like saw an opportunity where like the headline can turn into this thing where it's just like, oh, look at crazy Trump trying to buy Greenland. And then, yeah, I mean, you kind of gave like the reasonable thing. I mean, I think very much, you know, he could have wanted to buy Greenland. Like, yeah. I, I mean, mean, he, he might have wanted to explore it. So like, I pulled it up on the map just to kind of look at it because, I mean, if the, if the goal is to buy it as like a strategic play for, for the United States, you know, I mean, there's not much there. It's a big block of ice. I think they have a lot of natural resources. They have oil in Greenland. It might. Um, there's oil everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, we could put a, a bunch of military bases in there and stuff and have, have good access. I don't think the question is like, should we buy Greenland? It's like, it's not really for sale, you know, <laughs> like everything's for sale, man. I mean, yeah, I guess He's the great negotiator. <laughs> I I just think that like, whether you think it's hilarious, whether you think it's like disturbing, right? This is like front of the headlines, like front of the New York times, like Trump wants to buy Greenland. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Uh, in Denmark, bewilderment and anger over Trump's canceled visit. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is so dominating headlines. So a couple of things when that happens, right. One of the thought I had was this is probably contrived. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was totally planned between like Greenland and Donald Trump that they could both sort of grab headlines and Greenland can sort of promote themselves and and try to draw up tourism and stuff like that. And Donald Trump grabs another headline and they know that the papers will run with this bony beef between this the country and the president. The other thing is it's such a pointless story to talk about, (laughs) which is funny because we're talking about it on this podcast. But as soon as something like that grabs the headlines, my mind immediately goes to, okay, what what are they what story are they trying to bury? Like how far do I have to dig on the internet to find the story that they're trying to hide from us? I, I just dude, I view it I, again, going back to Trump's days on The Apprentice, going back to his days of wanting to be on, you know, page six of the New York Post, right? The guy is addicted to attention. He's addicted to headlines. I don't see conspiracy theory in all this. I see this as the guy wants his name 
across every newspaper in the country. And guess what? He got it. Yeah. Right. And you can even say like, that's not a bad strategy to get reelected. You know, you could have this, or you could have, you know, boring, you know, democratic candidate who's, we're going to go yeah. back to normal. That's what Joe, that's what Joe Biden's running on. Like, you know, back to normal or whatever. Biden stepped it in again. Guy's a gaff machine. Actually, his wife stepped in it. She can't even control herself. Did you see uh, her little interview that she did? No, Jill Biden? Yeah. No, I didn't see it. She w- she made the ultimate pitch for Joe Biden. It was like, yeah, you know, you may not like him. He may not be the best candidate. You may not like his stance on health care or education. But you're going to have to swallow that. You're going to have to swallow that because he can beat Donald Trump. And that's the, that's the real goal here. Even if you don't like him, just vote for him because he could, pro- he could probably beat Donald Trump. Right. That's a great pitch. Thank yeah. you. This is for yeah. another episode, but um, what do you think the chances are if, if he lost him not accepting the results? Who, Trump or Biden? Trump. Um, or Biden, if we're going to be fair. But, but <laughs> Trump seems more of the type that we like. That would be so interesting. For so many reasons, because I mean, the first time around, they were always asking him, you know, like, are you going to accept the results? Because everybody was assuming that he was going to lose. And then the Democrats lose. And the first thing they do is start Russia conspiracy. Right. We're not accepting these results. Right. Um, and now that they've been, you know, harping on all this election interference and stuff like that, they've kind of like laid the groundwork for him to be like, oh, look. Look at all this uh, Russian interference in our elections that you were talking about. Yeah. Two things I wonder, like, A, would he accept it? And, like, literally, like, would he make a play to, like, stay in the White House? (laughs) I don't think so. Which I I don't think so. Um, Two, let's say he did accept it. Would he show up to the the inauguration? Oh, my God. Probably not. (sighs) That would be unbelievable. I couldn't couldn't see him, like, showing up. Like, I, I actually think he'd, like, just peace out. You think so? Yeah. Go back to like New Jersey. I don't know. He might try to steal the show somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, it's Donald Trump. He's going to try to alpha Joe Biden. Yeah. Alpha him right out of the room. That will be a fascinating display to watch if he does in fact lose. But I don't see him making a play to stay in the White House or anything like that. He'll just go on like Twitter and he, he'll just never shut up about how he should have won or how he got screwed or something like that. And he'll just... He'll just keep harping on that for a couple of years. And then just tr- he'll be relentlessly trashing the, the next president. You know, like George Bush had the thing where he's like, oh, I don't I don't talk about presidents after I leave office. It, it, it doesn't dignify the office and all that crap. Trump Trump has none of that in him. And oh, my God. I mean, it's not going to be Joe Biden. There's no way the sleepy Joe is going to win this election. But whoever does, if it's not Donald Trump, is going to get relentlessly attacked on Twitter by Donald Trump. And it's going to be fantastic. This whole election cycle is shaping up to be probably the best, like the funniest one that we've had. I thought the last Republican one with Donald Trump was going to be, was going to be the funniest, but this is just going to be so much better. I can't wait. So anyway, uh, again, depending on no matter what you say, we can honestly agree. This is about, Headlines, headlines, headlines. I mean, dude, the New York Times had no less than like four opinion articles about the Greenland thing. That's why I think they're trying to cover up a story. Something else is going on here, man. How how much can be written about this 
like we just talked about it for like eight minutes and I think it was a stretch. Right. It's like, all right. So yeah. He wants I mean, to it is just so like outside the realm of what, I mean, if you want to go back to authentic, right? Like that's about as far from vanilla as you can get. I mean, it's just such a random country too. Like it wasn't like, Oh, like let's make Puerto Rico, like the 51st state or God, I hope they don't do that. Well, yeah. Puerto Ricans need to stay a territory. Do not assume your portion of our $23 trillion debt. Do not get rid of your tax haven status because I want to move there. That's a good point. I need to get grandfathered into Act 20 and Act 22, man. Yeah. You ever been to Puerto Rico? No, I heard it's cool. Very nice. Yeah, I like it. I'll be going back. I think next up on my list is Jamaica. Jamaica. I've never, I've, I, I think I went when I was like seven or eight with my parents. I haven't been back. You but. went to Jamaica with your parents? Oh, it was like a family resort type of thing. That's interesting. I don't I don't see your old man in Jamaica. Uh true. It was probably my mom's doing. Okay. <laughs> I've yeah, I've never been. So now we've covered those two. Uh Amazon. All right. Yeah. You're dying to talk about this rainforest, huh? I, I just think it's it's so interesting that like dude, when there's like when there's a big fire in Colorado or California like dominates the news and there's like this just enormous fire in Brazil, enormous. And you barely, you barely would know it would happen. I mean, it's, it's insane to me. Well, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I didn't actually hear, I heard about this story from you initially. And then once I went on the internet, you know, it was trending on Twitter. It's become a worldwide story. So, I mean, yeah, you could say it's it's a much bigger story when we have fires in California or Colorado. It's a much bigger story here, but I don't I don't know if like France and Italy are are getting stories about our forest fires. Maybe they are. I, I don't I don't think they be they don't become net, like worldwide news stories where they're they're trending on Twitter and you see it on every single social media site and all even like um these sites I go on where you just kind of look at, at memes and gifs and stuff. People are, are, are making memes and, and uh, gifs about this. I, I don't think the story's being ignored. It, it's just, it takes it, 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 if it's going to be a story in the Amazon, it's going to take it a while for it to work its way into the national news cycle. And it's going to have to be a pretty big deal, like a much bigger fire than normal, which this apparently... It, this apparently is there's like 78% increase in fires or something like that this year. And now that it has, I mean, there are stories about it all over the internet now. So now should a story like this grab more headlines than Trump thinking about buying Greenland? I don't know. Maybe it, it depends on whether or not we actually buy Greenland. U.S. buying Greenland is a more significant development than some trees burning. If you ask me, I mean, it's 20% of all the oxygen on earth is produced by the Amazon. So I, I think it's like, yeah, it's not our country, but I think it's like a pretty important, like natural habitat, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I just, I, I think that stories like this, I mean, I I'm seeing the story all over the internet now, so I don't see a huge failure here in reporting on it, but do we know why there's such a, a massive increase in these fires? I mean, I, I read a little bit about it, but have you, what have you heard? One of the theories is because of the new Brazilian president, um, he's going to be, 
he's going to be more pro sort of development of the Amazon. And so loggers and farmers and developers are less worried about being prosecuted for illegally clearing forest. So this has been like those types clearing forest and then it getting out of control. Yeah, I saw that too. I'm not buying that. It seems to me, and maybe this is the reason why it took the, the the story a little longer to gain traction, is because the media had to figure out a way to tie it to Donald Trump because they only seem to get excited about things if they can make Trump look bad in the process. But that just seems like what they're trying to do with that. I, every Every time I saw that theory posed... There was some sort of mention of Donald Trump and his policies and how they're very similar in character and, and, and political outlook. And all these Democratic presidential candidates now have their talking points and they're taking to Twitter and social media, call, you know, saying that this Trump-like president of Brazil and his Trump-like policies, yada, yada, yada. Look, I don't know what, what the cause for these for the 77 percent increase in fires is but what i do know is that if it's coming out of a politician's mouth or if it's coming from the mainstream media chances are that narrative is completely wrong completely wrong this is from the article natural fires are very rare in the amazon so all or almost yeah, all cool, the fires it's so wet are set although this is their dry season isn't it i think this is their dry season no, i'm not sure Deforestation of the Amazon has increased rapidly since Mr. Bolsonaro, who was elected in October, took office and his government cut back on efforts to confront illegal activity in the rainforest. Critics say Mr. Bolsonaro's policies have emboldened loggers, farmers, and miners who want to clear out land illegally. So, I mean, I think this is a travesty, and I'd, I'd like to hear your opinion on sort of the libertarian viewpoint of public land. Um, and you know, this is public land that, that we all collectively own and you have people that are kind of taking it upon themselves to clear it and I want action. Right. And unfortunately it's in Brazil. So like I can't, you know, make a difference, but the same thing was in the U S if it's happening here. Someone's, you know, clearing land that is owned by the U S you know, I, I don't want them getting away with that. Right. This is a private property issue. And the, and the issue is that we don't respect private property rights. We don't have private property here. We have communal property and you get what we get, what's referred to as tragedy of the commons. When everybody owns something, as you said, we collectively own it. That's a bunch of nonsense. Nobody owns it. And so nobody's enforcing, even if that, if that narrative is true and this Brazilian president has just uh, you know, this is a failure of government not enforcing the laws and letting these farmers run amok, just burning up land. Well, that's a private property issue. And if we ha- if somebody actually owned that land, then this wouldn't be happening. So the, the problem here is that the government owns this land and the government, do- it's not in the government's interest, apparently, to prevent these people from destroying these forests. That that's the problem here. And that's the libertarian position on this is we, we should there should be no communal land. Everything should be privatized. And if everything's privatized, then the then it's up to the private owners of that rainforest or whatever is is being destroyed to enforce their private property. And you need a court system that upholds stri- like a strict adherence to private property. And then all these issues go away. 
But when it's a communal thing and nobody actually owns it, like you said, it's like, well, I can't do anything. It's over in Brazil. How am I gonna? How am I gonna help things? How? What? What can I do? Well, you can't do anything because you don't own the land, and the people who who are claiming ownership of the land, the Brazilian government, they apparently don't. They don't seem to care enough about it. Or maybe they've been bought off and bought and paid for by special interest groups. Who knows? Who knows? But even if it was here, you wouldn't be able to do anything. What are you going to do here? Call your congressman and complain? <laughs> Write him a, a mean-worded letter? Ooh, are you going to vote? Voting doesn't do anything. If voting did anything, believe me, these politicians wouldn't let you do it. You have to have private property rights, and you have to be able to enforce your private property rights. Because the only person who really cares about that, who cares about that rainforest more than you do is the person who owns that land, and whose land is actually being destroyed, whose livelihood, whose vested interest is tied directly to that land. So how do you get to a situation where, okay, you know, who owns the, the, the fact that it's public goes back hundreds of years, like, what do you do? You, you auction all that off? Because if you do, then you kind of are in the same problem because people can do whatever they want to their forest. And the only person, the only people that can bid in an auction are ones that will, you know, make the forest in somehow economically viable for them to be able to bid. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't have to auction it off. There's, there's the homesteading theory which is the idea that you could mix your labor with unoccupied land and improve that land, and then you could have a, a claim of ownership there. What do you do if you want to preserve the land, though? I mean, just transfer it to, like, an NGO? Or well, I mean, if, if you own it, you can preserve it. it. It's a common misconception. The second we privatize something, all, all these entrepreneurs are going to come in there and just develop the, the land, start building houses and skyscrapers and commercialize everything. If the value of the land is in maintaining its natural state, as in if people val- all these people value the Amazon, right? Because they want to go there and they want to see the natural beauty of the land. They want to hike. They want to camp. They want to whatever. If the value is in keeping the land undeveloped, then entrepreneurs will figure out a way to monetize that. They're not gonna. They're not going to build on land if the consumer demand is not for a house in the Amazon. You know what I mean? So just because we privatize this land does not necessarily mean that it's going to just turn into this commercialized land use. Americans spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year on outdoor recreation to use national parks, um, water sports, camping. They willingly pay to do things outdoors. This would be no different. And the other thing is there's conservationists out there. there. There's all these, you know, the Bill Gates of the world that, that would just like to buy land just to preserve it, just to keep it in that natural state. And they don't even care about making a profit. There are nonprofit organizations, a, a ton of people out there who would donate to, to a private organization to run the Amazon, to, to maintain large swaths of the Amazon. Why does it always have to be government? Why does it have to be this communal crap? You're not going to get the best treatment of the land from government. They have an abysmal record on environmentalism. Look at the Soviet Union. There are still places in the Soviet Union that are uninhabitable today. One of the biggest myths that drives me crazy is that the government, there are these benevolent angels that want to preserve the land, and private entrepreneurs just want to slash and burn everything. 
burn everything down to make a buck. I just think increasingly like industry is able to financially a influence the government and b um, acquire these types of resources and develop these types of resources. And pretty soon you're going to have like no protected lands left. Like, you know, and, and that's a problem because it, it ruins the environment. It ruins sort of the earth we live on. And overall that's, you know, it's a, it's a long-term problem that basically is being sacrificed for short-term kind of gains. Yeah. I mean, I don't entirely agree that they're short-term gains. I meant there's financial gains in the short term right. at the risk of doing long-term environmental damage. Well, yeah. I mean, the environmental damage aspect could be up for debate as to how much damage is actually being done. But again, that's another private property issue. If you own land and you're and whatever is happening, uh, whatever is ha- being done around you is damaging the environment of your land, then you can make a claim. You can take them to court. You can stop them from doing what they're doing. And you're going to have a much harder time stopping people from developing land and and damaging the environment if you have this communally owned land that that the government is in charge of. The other thing is that the more wealthier you get as a nation due to all this development that's being done and all these economic advances that that do do damage to the environment, the the better position you're in to address those issues. Like the US can address uh, environmental issues much better than China or India because we're so much wealthier. But I also don't think we should just downplay the advancement that that people make through this development. You know, people are becoming a lot wealthier and are, are, their standard of living is going up significantly. Yes, at the expense of some of the environment, but I don't think you can just write that off. There, there has to be a trade-off there, you know? And the wealthier people get... The, the easier it is for them to address environmental issues down the line. Like the U.S. is in a much better position to address environmental factors than, say, China or India because they're, they're still living in poverty. Being able to, to uh, think about the environmental impact of things, that's a, that's a first-world problem. That's a luxury. I mean, it just it depends on, like, your value system. Like, if you value the yeah. fact that things are maybe, like, not developed – or you're preserving like you know wildlife that live in these lands you know again preserving wildlife and developing the lands the wildlife live on are in direct conflict with each other right and so you know i'm not against all development and in fact i'm for most development but i'm also for you know preservation of lands preservation of wildlife of these natural resources it's a tough conversation, and I would say that the the wild majority of people probably have some sort of nuanced view. Like, hey, I'm for development, but I'm also for preservation of the environment. Right, and I kind of agree with you, but that's why you also you also need to have a market in this because we don't know what the best use of the land is. Maybe... All of the Amazon should be left untouched. Maybe 20% of it needs to be used for mining or farming and 10% needs to be used for this or that. Like we don't know without a price system. So you have to have a market. The land has to be privately owned and then people can make decisions and, and the prices will reflect the value 
of that land and the best use of those resources. You know, if the if the majority of people are in your camp and they, they want to strike a nice balance between land development and species preservation, then prices will reflect that. And I think most people are in your camp. I think most people align with, with your, th- with your th- uh, train of thought on this. And if we, you know, if it gets down, if it starts to get too developed, and let's say like, you know, there's only like 60 or 70 percent of the uh, uh, of the natural state Amazon left, then the, the price of that is going to skyrocket and it won't be economically viable for a developer to buy it because it'll just be too expensive to do whatever they want because there's no there's no more there's not enough demand that that land's too precious it's too valued in its natural state to be developed for something so you got to have you got to have a price mechanism in there to illustrate how what people value that land use for what the best use is for like you and I can't determine that and a corrupt evil government certainly can't determine that Right, Because I'm sure that your definition of preserving the environment and my definition of preserving the environment are completely different. Like you said, everybody's going to have a nuanced uh, approach to this. So it's best to let the market decide, not just this top-down authoritarian thing. Because what, what do you mean by preserving the environment? Or like what species, what do you mean by species preservation? What, what species are important to you? Yeah, I mean like polar bears, right? Or like, you know, different types of just, you know, the numerous types of animals that like kind of existed in, in, uh, in great population, like across the world that now have been like whittled down probably because of, of, you know, the human population. Yeah. But I mean, there's been millions of things that have gone extinct. Correct. Yes. So it's, I mean, that's but just a lot kinda... of people view that as a problem. Right. But it's a problem that existed before mankind. So things are going to go extinct with or without humans. And in my mind, I, I'm on team people. I'd rather advance uh, the standard of living of people at the expense of the polar bear than, you know, than, than make people suffer in poverty to, say, to, to prolong the, the life of a, of a species that I'm never going to come into contact with. And if I did, it would probably eat me. Or, you know, we have to save the, the 300th species of the spotted owl. Like, I, I don't really care about that. But again, that, that's my point. Like, if a lot of people do, fine. You let the market figure this out through private property and voluntary interaction. Yeah. But, I, I, think, I think the point is, though, over the long term, it's not like one species or two species. It's like you're doing, like, wide scale, wide scale extinction of, like, most species. Yeah. That's, that's like, the long-term fear. So, again... Yeah. It's but not again, like, oh, I clear this 50 acres. Right, but the know. only like the best way to preserve species is to have people that own the land that can preserve those species. Correct, yeah. It, it's not like there's you're not going to get that sort of preservation through government or through laws and the EPA. You know, the the EPA creates so many um unintended consequences. You ever heard of shoot shovel and shut up? You know, if people find if people buy a plot of land and they find out that they have the uh, uh, an endangered species on their land, they're far more likely they're incentivized to shoot that thing, bury it and don't tell a soul. Otherwise, you'll have the EPA all over you. They they might confiscate your land. They might not let you sell it. They might hit you with all sorts of rules and regulations and stuff like that. And then if there's just the potential of having a 
an endangered species on your land, like if you have a tree or a bush that they like to live in, well, you're incentivized to cut that tree down get rid of that bush to destroy their natural habitat just because of the potential of having those endangered species on your land because you don't want the government to come and crack down on you. So all this government intervention just has the opposite effect of their intended goals. And one one of the things um, my, my older sister actually does a lot of work with this sort of stuff. She's in Portland. She works for Portland, Oregon uh, Public Broadcasting. And they're always doing these things where they're intervening in the wildlife. You know, they're like, oh, we have a problem with like these salmon swimming up the stream or whatever. Right, right. And we, we need to it's causing a problem with like this other species. And so we need to intervene. Right. And so they, they go and they like put up a dam or something to, to stop the, the fish from swimming there or whatever. And then. You know, it causes like three other problems. Like now the bears right. just come because all the salmon are stuck there. The law there, of unintended consequences. Right. And right. it just seems like, you know, their their heart's in the right place, but th- they don't know the the consequences of of what they're going to do. And then it causes more problems than it actually solves. <laughs> My sister's going to kill me for completely butchering whatever salmon story she's currently working on. She's in their science and environment environmental unit i think something like that and she does all she covers all these stories and if you want the exact opposite perspective on the environment than you're getting from me here you can you can look her up uh she you could follow her on twitter or check out check her out in uh, oregon public broadcasting she's a a big contributor there her name's cassandra profita but (laughs) i'm sure i screwed up that salmon story and i'll probably be hearing about it at some point but I think you guys all get the point that I'm trying to make. And I don't think she could even argue with that either, but maybe we'll have to get her on the show. Anyway. You know, when it comes to like one species here, two species here, like that's not like what I'm referring to. I'm re- referring to like widespread, like unending, like um, direction of development and right. like getting rid of, of, you know, what <laughs> exists yeah. of nature left on this earth. Yeah. But I, I, I think you're in the majority there. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I, so I think the solution, again, I'm open to solutions. That's kind of why I went to like the libertarian view. Like, hey, you know, what would the libertarian view be of, okay, you've got the Amazon, you've got the Colorado forest, you've got Alaska, uh, what's it called in Alaska? Uh, Anwar? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So like these are big public lands, right? Privatize them. That's the the libertarian solution. Yeah. Yep. I, I guess I guess it's the mechanism of which you privatize because yeah. if you say, oh well, yeah, um, the beach along Lakeshore Drive, we're gonna auction off, right? Well, you'll have every major property developer be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll I'll buy that at auction and I'll build you know, enormous condos and I'll make an awesome profit. Right. So that's, that's the issue I have is like, what's the mechanism for privatizing? Well, it it sounds like you want a mechanism for privatizing it into what you want somebody to do with it. Like you want, you want to just control everything and be like, no, that we want to, we want to privatize it, but this is what needs to be done with it. Well, and that that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, the example I gave, like the Chicago, like beach 
line or whatever, mm-hmm. like most people in Chicago would probably like agree with me. But that's the beauty of letting the market decide what what to use these lands for. If the vast majority of people agree with you that they don't want that land developed, they would rather have a beach there than a condo. First of all, all that stuff's already been developed. There's condos all up and down Lakeshore Drive. I don't know what you're talking about. But if the dem- if the consumer demand is not for buildings, it's for beaches, then why would a developer buy that to turn it into a building that nobody's going to live in? At the same time, if there's so many people that don't want that developer to buy it, then outbid him for it. Outbid him. You could crowdfund it. You could crowdfund it and, and have one person buy that land with all the crowdfunding money and have them sign a contract that says, I will never let anybody put a building on this plot of land. That could be one way of solving the, the issue. And I mean, there there's ways, there there are free market solutions to to getting what you want. You don't have to use government force in every situation. Right. And if nobody wants this developer to put up a bill, like then nobody will live there. Right. So, I, so I, here's my, you're, you're correct. And yeah, you would kill the demand. Here's my other problem. If, if you said, okay, we're going to auction this off. Well, who's running the auction? Who knows? Like with this, with the parking meter thing and auctioning off that oh, Chicago. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows what backroom shenanigans were happening? Yeah. Other than this is like the worst deal yeah, that's to why have I, ever been done. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point as to why we probably shouldn't auction it off to the government because you can just buy off your politician. And it's just like, yeah, you got you got the politicians in your pocket. They'll then. be they'll be like, Yeah, for this we we carefully reviewed and we thought that a one bidder system would be the most efficient right. for this. Yeah. And we we had like a lot of studies done. They'll to, do the same thing they do with the the debates and like letting poli- uh, letting politicians into the debates to be like, Oh yeah, I just qualified in these like four polls, like Tulsi Gabbard. I just saw this article. She's qualified in like two major newspaper polls. She got like 3% and they're like, Oh, those don't count. Those aren't credible <laughs> polls. And it's just like, yeah, they could do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. I mean, there are volumes of books written on this. Um, we got to wrap cause we're coming up on an hour. Walter Block has written volumes on this. I know he's got a book. I think it's called Privatize Everything. Lou Rockwell's done a lot of great work on this. Of course, Murray Rothbard. I highly recommend if you guys are interested in this topic or if you've never really um, even considered the option of privatizing these public lands, you got to start reading these guys. These guys have, have done a ton of work on this. They've put a lot more thought into it than than you and I have. And, you know, we've only scratched the surface here. Um, but yeah, you know, the more developed things get and the more reach that government has and like where we are now, it gets very complicated to, to sort of figure out how, how we can get back to a, a, a truly private property society. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the other problem. Like right now it's like you're sort of entrusting your government to take care of, and preserve, you know, these lands and these resources. And for whatever reason, it's not happening. Right. And maybe you're speaking to, well, it's not happening because better system is, you know, having these lands privatized. Well, they, because the politics, like nobody wants to sacrifice long-term things for short-term goals more than politicians. Correct. Yeah. So like they, yeah, they, they care about the next election. So if it, if it comes down between how much money they can make when they get out of office. Right. So if like, if it comes down to like, oh yeah, preserve this rainforest or, 
here's like a couple million bucks for your campaign. That's an easy decision for them. Right. Um, that's or here's a cushy job when you get out of office. What? Yeah. Whatever it may be. Right. Um, yeah, they got the whole revolving door thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I don't see, I like, I know that the, it's never appealing to hear that like, Oh, well we should do this. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. I know that scares a lot of people, but it just kind of, it also just kind of proves that we shouldn't have people trying to run everything because no one person or group of people has the answer to everything. And the, the only thing I know for sure is that having a group of people that have like basically unchecked power and control over everything with very short time horizons, especially if you're trying to preserve long-term, highly complex ecosystems, having one group of people with a monopoly on force over that issue is the, probably the worst possible solution. And if you want the, the people's voice to actually be heard, you should open up the market and let everybody involved make value decisions on what to do with the land. All right, let, let's wrap there because we're, we're starting to run a little long here. Last word from Johnny the Jew. Yeah, uh, no, I think, I'm, uh, I think I'm all good for this week. Okay, well then, guys, if you like the show today, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever the hell you're listening to us on. Download and subscribe. Share the show with your friends. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. Also on Instagram, I still don't really know what the hell I'm doing on there, but I'm on there too for all the, all the kids out there. And if you want to become a contributing member of our audience, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and you can donate to the show from there. And if you can do all that, we will be back next week. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.